Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's SpudSmart Roundtable Series webinar. My name is Ashley Robinson, and I'm the editor of SpudSmart. Today, I'll be serving as your host for this webinar. Today's theme is important dates for growing spuds. I'd just like to take a quick minute to thank our, McCain, our sponsor for this webinar. So thank you to McCain for partnering with us for this Roundtable Series webinar. Today's presenters are Jed Grow, an NDSU PhD graduate student, and Dave Bell, who owns Bell Crop Services. At this time, I'd also like to mention that this webinar has been approved to offer one CCA credit for those doing live. We will show the QR code on the screen after the presentations. In today's webinar, you'll learn about you'll learn about what you need to remember regarding timing for growing the best possible potato crop results of a study looking at the effect of planting dates, and information on what to keep in mind when it comes to in-season crop protection. During the presentation, you'll likely have some questions for our speakers. Please type these into the chat box at any time during the webinar, and we'll address them during the question and answer session after the presentations. Today's webinar is being recorded and will be made available at spudsmart.com following this live event. Our first presenter is Jed Groh, who is an NDSU PhD graduate student. Jed graduated with his undergraduate degree in biotechnology and genetics from Brigham Young University in Utah in 2018. He received his master's degree from NDSU in plant sciences and is currently working on his PhD in plant sciences at NDSU and teaching degree slated to graduate with both at the end of this year slash the start of 2024. Jed's current research work involves potato planting date manipulation and its effects on yield, bulking rates, and Verticillium dalial colonization. Take it away, please, Jed. Awesome. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, yeah, so today I wanted to talk to you about some new up and coming research we have uh, with Verticillium and planting date. Um, as far as this year goes, uh, you know, there, there will be some delayed uh, planting in some areas, maybe not in others. And how is this going to affect your Verticillium levels going forward? Uh, what does this mean, you know, as far as future years go or, or potential harvest dates? Um, why we want to talk about Verticillium, why there's a lot of research on it. Uh, it's arguably one of the, the most, uh, if not the most damaging disease of potatoes when you're considering yield reduction and uh, loss of quality, especially kind of this Central Plains area region where I'm from. Um, it appears that seed tubers, you know, for the most part, when they're planted in, in colder soils, there's a lot, there's a fair amount of studies uh, that they emerge more slowly. Um, and so, you know, you always want to plant in warmer soils, but those warmer soils are also uh, most likely beneficial for those, uh, you know, diseases that they like to grow in, uh, those warm, moist environments. Overall, planting date can affect a lot when it comes to the potato crop, you know, the number and size of the tubers, uh, and really this comes down to the staging of the crop. You know, when is that tuber initiation gonna start? Um, is it gonna be hot? Is it gonna be cold? Um, your soil temperature, you know, you can't plant below a certain temperature except you risk damaging the seed. Um, the day length, we really don't have to worry about that in uh, our region, but other regions you might wanna consider that. The length of your growing season, obviously, you know, you've got a 90 day red, you're gonna worry a lot more about a lot less about getting that in the ground compared to 120, 110 uh, russet. And really that heat stress and soil moisture level, you, know, you want to consider, you know, what am I planting into? Is it too wet? Do I need to wait a little bit for it to dry? All these come in 
uh, to play and, and will be talked about further today. But there's a lot of, you know, there's been several bulking studies. Um, and when we talk about bulking rates, the dry matter accumulation in the potato, fewer in the Red River Valley, kind of this area, um, Central Plains area, it's very equivalent, you know, to your Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba growing areas. Uh, verticillium is high. But as far as that disease complex goes, there's less, uh, well, not necessarily less of an issue, but different issues because we don't have the penetronus issues with the nematode in that complex, something to consider. Um, when we talk about bulking rates too, there's not a lot of consensus. So, I mean, for the most part, right? It's just how much dry matter did it put on or what's my yield increase over these number of days. But you know, do you just take the final yield and, and divide it by days? What if you have a cultivar that really likes to bulk a little later, you know, and you want to harvest a little earlier, that's not going to give you a good reflection of, of that pattern, you know, so you need to consider the growth pattern. Um, some people just take weight between two different periods, um, or again, the mean growing rate or slope over that time. We're really trying to nail down a better model uh, with a lot of the research that I'm focused in so that so you have an, uh, a variety that matures early, or you're concerned about disease that might kill your crop early, you can really hone in your planting or harvest dates based off uh, a better growth model. Um, so we've done this in, in two areas, mostly in, in North Dakota and Minnesota. Um, Perm, Minnesota especially, has very high levels of verticillium. Um, I mean, they've been cultivating, cultivating potatoes down there for a long time. The, the cultivar I'm focusing on today is Dakota Russet. Um, and, and, and we really had three different planting dates. We planted as early as we could. We waited two weeks and planted, and then we waited even two weeks later. So you almost have a month difference uh, between the plantings of, of this particular cultivar. Um, it's early maturing, high yields, uniform tubers. It recently was the most, well, it, it was the most recent uh, potato cultivar accepted for McDonald's French fries. Um, it does have, uh, moderate resistance to verticillium yield, uh, wilt. Um, we compared it to Russet Burbank, as far as this goes, um, which is considered susceptible. And yeah, it, it, it's a promising cultivar when it comes to this. A little low on the stem numbers, but we're working on that as far as getting those up. Um, how we did the bulking rates was we would go out there and we would harvest every two weeks. Um, you know, we randomly selected uh, areas in the field. Um, for those of you who are interested in the stats, we, we, we did an RCVD design and I'm using a mixed model as far as that goes, because uh, kind of as I explained in this next slide, if you do take data from one plot and it happens to be skewed, you know, that error is going to carry on throughout the season. Um, and so we're really trying to hone the statistics and make sure that we really get an, a model that's going to accurately portray what is my potato doing, especially later on in the season or in the middle part of the season when, you know, we haven't even started our five foot digs yet, for example. Um, so some of the results we had, this is, this is a really good graph. Um, it shows that you do have difference in, uh, you have on the left here, your yield. Um, I used 108 per acres um, uh, for this presentation um, with hectares. I mean, there's no difference as far as that goes. The sampling intervals on the bottom started about 50 days after planting, you know, right about a little after tuber initiation for some of these. Um, and we went clear up to harvest you know, every two week intervals here. 
harvesting uh, kind of about that time, that ninth interval is about October. Um, and you can see that, you know, when, when we talk about this, the, the gray is, is in the areas is results that are considered statistically similar. And there's no difference when it comes to that ninth timing um, as far as harvest yield goes. So the middle one numerically has a little increased yield, but statistically you're not going to get any difference between any planting. Well, what does this mean? Well, we waited a month to plant this variety and there was no difference in final yield. Why is this? Well, we've got an early maturing variety. So at some point you can see right about the seventh timing, um, you start to slow off as far as the bulking goes. You might see a, a, a different increase, you know, if you're looking at a russet burbank that continues to grow, but certainly an early maturing variety, you know, you're going to give the later plantings time to catch up, but the earlier planting is going to be done. Uh, other things to consider here is you're also going to see warmer soils and the potatoes are going to grow faster in those warmer soils. So when you plant in those cooler soils, they're going to kind of wait a little bit, whereas if you plant those warmer soils, they're really going to jump up and get going. Um, we repeat it in 2022, uh, a little variation when it comes to the statistics as far as the, the graph goes. That's why you see that break kind of at the top there. But overall, no real difference statistically. Um, you Again, you can see that that middle planting line looks higher, but that really just means that it's growing faster because when you get to the end, um, you know, there's there's no difference. Um, so there was some variation between the years, and we're, we're hoping the third year to really tighten up those lines even more, um, tighten up our model. Uh, another thing we considered is, you know, obviously, if you are changing the time at which you're planting and you're changing the time at which you're harvesting, you're going to see a difference in tuber size. We saw a shift from, you know, the, your kind of your 6 to 10 ounce tubers. With the earlier timing, we saw a smaller shift where there was more uh, of those tubers that were in the smaller profiles, but they were still in the commercially marketable yield category. So overall, economically speaking, you didn't lose anything by planting later, um, again, with the Dakota Russet. So there was no difference in these final yields. Um, we did compare different cultivars with Russet Burbank and Bannock Russet. And for those of you growing that one, um, we didn't see any differences in any of the cultivars or the planting times. Now we did see slight differences when you were comparing, you know, Dakota Russet to Russet Burbank, um, because that indeterminate growth, you know, you can really get some extra growth maybe the end of the season, but um, the length of the season dictated these changes. So in 2021, we had a longer season, so you kind of saw that exasperated. So Dakota Russet only really needs to be planted early if you plan on harvesting early. But if, you know, that early maturing variety, if, if, if you're not anticipating that, well, then you can certainly wait a little bit and maybe plant that one in a field with a higher vert pressure later. You know, this, this kind of helps you with those management decisions when it comes to this. Um, what we want to talk about is the verticillium then. Now, we've done this for two years, and we're doing this again for the third year. As of right now, and, and you'll have to refer to Julie Pashi at NDSU. Um, for further information. But what we reported on right now is later plantings tend to have higher verticillium. So if you are delaying planting, you know, you might have higher forms of verticillium, which means you could plant in those cooler soils and 
occur less verticillium, and this this could be due uh, a lot with the secretion of the roots and, and the activation of those resting spore structures, a number of things we're, we're, we're trying to look at. But there is a potential yield loss then when you consider this, you know, with planting days. So if I wait later, you know, is my decreased yield when it comes to Russet Burbank um, going to off-put the increase in invert pressure? And as far as what we've seen, again, the Dakota Russet, there was no difference and final yield. So you could plant earlier, harvest earlier, not have a difference in yield, but potentially have lower amounts of verticillium. Because at some point in the season, you're not going to be putting on any more yield comparatively to the amount of disease that you're increasing in your stems. Um, now these results vary drastically between fumigated and non-fumigated fields. Um, similar results, but just wider margins. So with increased amount of pressure, uh, disease pressure, you saw, you know, increased yield loss um, and potential for uh, the, the differences when you talk about that later planning. So there's a lot of potential coming out of this. We're hoping to release this model probably the end of this year um, with both the verticillium and the planning date. So look for that coming out of NDSU. And, and the hope is that we can tell growers, as far as these three varieties go, you know, this, this, is a good, this is a good harvest date, where after this date, you're not going to see a difference in yield, but you are going to see a difference in this disease pressure that you're returning to the field. Um, so that's kind of the, the end of the presentation uh, as far as everything that I have. And there's just your acknowledgments. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Jed, for that presentation. And remember, if you have any questions for our presenters, please type these into the chat box at any time during the webinar, and we'll address them during the question and answer session after the presentations. And also a reminder that we will show the CCAA code on the screen after the presentations are finished. And our final presenter of the day is Dave Bell, who owns Bell Crop Services, which was established in 1999 in Harvey Station, New Brunswick. Dave's an agronomist who has worked with potato and cash crop growers in New Brunswick, specializing in sustainable crop production since 1986. He graduated from Dalhousie University's Agricultural College in 1986 with a Bachelor of Agronomy degree in plant protection. Dave created and operates his disease spore monitoring network for Maine and New Brunswick, and he's a long-term research partner with the Atlantic Grains Council and the Eastern Canada Oilseeds Alliance. Take it away, please, Dave. Hi, thanks, Ashley. Well, I hope uh, lots of people are in the field uh, here in uh, New Brunswick. The weather has broken and, and the dust is flying and wish everybody, if you're not in the field, to, to get there as quick as possible and, and have a great start to the season. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the, um, about the timing and it's specific to Eastern Canada and Maine conditions, that's where I am. Uh, a bit about the important timing for, for best results and focusing on insect disease and fertility. So at early emergence is when we'll start here. And uh, if a seed applied or in furrow insecticide was used, which in most cases are these days, uh, your early season insects should be reduced for in the neighborhood of you know, 50 to 60 days, not lasting as long as they used to, but flea beetle in Colorado's are Adults are generally uh, held back in this, in this early emergence time. 
You want to watch for breakthrough infestations of emerging uh, Colorado potato beetle uh, adults. This would be indicating an increasing tolerance of the insecticide you're using. Certainly think about rotating chemicals away going into, uh, into the following season. And certainly when you use your, your follow-up uh, foliar applications to make sure that you're rotating uh, chemistry and their families to, uh, to reduce the, um, uh, the amount of resistance building. A couple of insects uh, here in the Northeast that are not controlled by our at planting insecticides would include European corn borer and non-colonizing aphids. And those are two that we're gonna, uh, we're gonna look at here a little bit. So the non-colonizing aphids are mostly a seed production issue. And even if you have those systemic insecticides, the virus can still be transmitted very early in the season as these non-colonizers are test probing and moving on and dropping off PBY. So oil sprays should be started as soon as potatoes emerge and continue regularly through the season. And even the inclusion of some contact insecticide has, has shown with those oil sprays to really help with that very early season uh, PBY transmission. On the European corn borer side, the moths are emerging from overwintering structures. They, and, uh, and they begin to seek mates and lay eggs. The timing very much depends on, on weather and on heat units. So your local moth activity is generally monitored with pheromone traps. Pheromones would be mimicking the pheromones the females would use to attract the male and uh, use these traps to estimate the peak moth flights and then giving us the window for control of the emerging larvae. The larvae emerge and then they go into the stem so quickly that there's a very short period of time that we have to control them. Once they're inside the stem, we can't get at them. This typically happens in early to mid-July, but it can vary quite a bit. The populations are also highly variable um, and very spotty from, from, from area to area. So follow local monitoring and, um, and choose, choose as you need. The two main uh, blight diseases on the early season, of course, late blight we'll start with, is an obligate parasite that must have a living tissue to survive. So in our part of the world, we can only come from seed tubers or culls or from windborne spores that are blowing in. So things we need to look for here is to watch for signs of seed-borne disease. And this would be very, very early infection, a lot of times coming directly up from the stem. Um, it's a good idea to get that uh, suspected foliage checked by a pathologist to be certain because black leg or dickia uh, can look very similar in the early part of the season. Certainly manage the cull piles, get them covered or buried um, because they can act as a source of, uh, of uh, infection that's coming directly from the cull piles. And cull piles do not need to grow foliage in order to sporulate and release spores. That can happen directly from the surface of, uh, of cull potatoes. Uh, watch spore monitoring numbers and weather models and to that will help you determine the intensity of the late blight disease control program that you need to initiate. Early blight, alternaria and uh, brown spot. This uh, overwinters on dead plant debris, so this is going to be available for reinfection every season. The primary spores are released very early in the season. This is a, a bit of the, the spore monitoring that we do here in Maine and New Brunswick, where we're uh, 
we're watching for alternarian also on late life. This is just alternarian showing this early spike that we see in spores released. We have spores starting to show up, uh, you know, in mid June, but we get uh, we get this spike um, of early season spores that are released, and this is the one that's causing that that primary infection. And then later on in August is when we see the uh, the in field infections, and we see another uh, major spike in uh, in spores. So for control, watch those spore numbers and apply an excellent alternary fungicide. I like to see it prior to row closure um, to, to be able to get something on there before those primary spores, reduce that initial infection from overwintering and reduce that pressure later on in the season from secondary spread. Under early season fertility, of course, always monitoring foliar nutrient levels. Most nutrients are going to be in pretty good shape at the beginning of the season, but there's specific nutrients that you're going to be adding early on. One example being magnesium to help push those plants to close the rows as quickly as possible, deploying the solar panels and collect all the possible light energy available, build the factory, and then let the factory build the crop. Moving into bloom and tuber set, uh, continue to monitor late blight and alternaria spore activity and adjust your, uh, your protection program as necessary. Insect activity will be, should be scouted closely as the infro and the seed treatment insecticides will be beginning to wear off. So color out potato beetle adults will be moving into the field edges from overwintering sites and setting up camp breeding and, um, and then spreading and having larvae, usually on the field margins. <clears throat> Sclerotinia is another disease at this point. Uh, the overwintering uh, form of sclerotia, they germinate and release spores that are deposited on potato flowers. Then when the blooms drop and stick to the lower plant parts, then that's where white mold tends to get started. The spores are difficult to monitor, so you have to consider your susceptible crops in your rotation, soybean, canola, beans, peas, and the past history of infection. Applying a preventative white mold fungicide just as flowers begin to drop is a good idea if you're in one of those high risk uh, situations. Moving out towards tuber set, early tuber development is the time to begin uh, your phosphorus acid programs for storage disease management. So dime to nickel sized tubers. Uh, several applications are necessary of phosphorus acid to reach the appropriate levels in the developing tubers to get the control in storage. So we need to start, uh, start early on to be able to fit those uh, applications in. Uh, as, as far as fertility, monitoring those foliar nutrient levels uh, as well and add nutrients as needed. One example would be boron that would begin to show up there around 2%. Through bulking, we want to continue to monitor disease spore levels and weather models for the right intensity, again, of your preventative disease protection. Insect scouting is going to move towards secondary pests like red-headed flea beetle, tarnished plant bugs, leaf hoppers and now colonizing aphids. So local extension monitoring programs in your own scouting, uh, maybe at this time using sweep netting in order to uh, quantify the insect levels. Uh, they become harder to count and harder to uh, come up with uh, whether the level is necessary uh, from an economic point of view to control. And so this will help to determine economic action thresholds. Through bulking and maturing, uh, monitoring of foliar nutrient levels is going to get more and more important as nutrients begin to be pulled down. Uh, main example being nitrogen. 
Utilize local critical nutrient level requirements for the variety and intended use. Seed processing table, they will be different and, um, and add additional nutrition as needed as the, as the plants begin to use up uh, the, the available. In the maturing and late season, again, continue to monitor insect and disease levels and watching for signs of early dying, verticillium and nematode damage combined. For, uh, for us, I would be planning for future control. There's not much you can do at that point, but watch for your rotation changes, whether biofumigation or fumigation or other chemical or biological interventions have to be made um, going forward. And of course, beginning to check potato size and development and plan for desiccation if that's going to be part of the plan. And just to sum up, um, it's, I think it's a great idea to utilize all the pest monitoring tools that are available to you in your area, whether it's insect trapping, uh, disease weather models, uh, spore monitoring, and then of course, on-farm scouting and crop scouting services. So that's it. Thanks. Thanks so much, Dave, for your presentation. It was very informative. And now everyone, I'd like to do a short question and answer session. If you have a question for either of our presenters that you haven't typed into the chat box yet, please type it in now. And I'm gonna start with a few uh, questions I got sent in, um, uh, not via the chat box, but um, the first one is for Jed. Um, of course, you were talking about the three specific potato varieties that you guys did your test on. Are there any other potato varieties you've looked at or you would think that would have uh, similar results to what you found? Yeah, so the trends that, that we, we, we've seen, um, you know, you have an Atlantic variety or, or some of your more indeterminate varieties. Um, the genetics really come to play a role in those. So you have varieties that they'll be either late bulkers or early bulkers. Um, some of them are more susceptible to water stress, things like that. And there's a number of, of, of papers out there that, that deal with those. Um, mostly those determinant varieties, um, and we're, we're determinant shorter season, I guess would be a better word because your determinant varieties are, are often considered more of your red or chipping varieties, but your um, of your processing varieties, uh, more of those shorter season, early maturing cultivars tend to have similar growth patterns where they'll, um, you know, uh, even if you delay planting, um, we've seen there hasn't been too big of a, a deal with yield because they've been able to make up that yield um, fairly easily, uh, you know, and, and we're talking our, in our region out here in the shorter growing season. Um, this is important because if, if, if you're talking about like, the Pacific Northwest or, or areas where you have a much larger growing season, you might have a variety like Russet Burbank be able to take off. And, uh, and you know, you'll see big differences as, as the season progresses, but certainly in a shorter growing season um, or areas where you could be concerned about that, whether it's shorted by disease um, or by other factors, um, those early maturing varieties tend to behave similarly. Thank you. And Dave, the next question is for you. So of course, you talked about spore monitoring. So should growers be using spore monitoring devices on their own farms? Or um, is it good for them to use slash follow the regional reports that they may receive? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I think a combination of the two is the sweet spot. Those on-farm um, monitoring services will allow you to make more, uh, I think, bolder decisions about how you want to manage disease 
and manage your disease programs. The, the larger outlook, the regional view, um, gives you time to see things coming, um, to prepare, to, uh, to, be, to you know, slowly move up your program uh, to match conditions and, and, the, and the spores that are starting to show up. So I think in both cases, it's, uh, they, they, really, they really do help with uh, one, one on the side of, uh, as an overall and the other for your, your on-farm you say more more bolder decisions that you're able to able to make. Yeah, interesting. And when it comes to um, that harvest time of year, what would you uh, recommend growers to keep in mind um, when they're looking at the crops? I know you talked about making sure um, to monitor for if desiccations needed or not. Right. Absolutely. I mean, in in uh, again in the north uh, in the north here, we don't do a lot of desiccation. Um, we, we try to have uh, things run out of nutrients uh, at, at the time that we run out of weather and then and uh, try to get the good set, you know, skin set and so on. But different varieties are going to uh, and, and different requirements for for what you're growing for are going to require you to control size and and uh, and market availability and so on. So, yeah, that's the. That's one of the big things is to is to match your match your market match your match your, your process with your market. Can you please uh, just talk about uh, what growers should keep in mind in regards to harvest that you found from your test results? Yeah. So as far as harvest goes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Um, so dry matter accumulation obviously is one. You know, if you're if you're talking about processing varieties you know, what, what's the window for, or acceptable window for dry matter accumulation. Um, you know, so you've, you've got to really watch your nitrogen levels there. You know, if you do intend on harvesting a little earlier, um, the verticillium that we have seen, um, I mean, if it's going to terminate a crop early anyway, due to the early, uh, early dye complex, we, we've seen that, you know, those levels could be affected. And if you live in an area where you could alter your planting date um, to plant a little earlier in slightly cooler temperatures, um, you, you might not see um, as big an issue when it comes to that yield uh, due to the early uh, dive complex taking that away. So, so when you're harvesting those, the important thing to do is if you're doing your five-foot digs and you go out there and, and, and you, know, you dig at the end of the season and the size profile isn't quite what you want, um, you have to consider okay, the amount of time that I'm going to leave them in the field, you know, based off either other crop models or past experience, how much am I going to gain? Um, and if it's not significant um, to you, you know, financially speaking, um, then we, we often suggest just terminating the crop early because it's really that later season when you talk about, you know, for our region, um, kind of the end of September, October, after a certain time that you really just find yourself accumulating disease, whether it's black dot in the stems, whether it's uh, verticillium, um, that's really when you start to see those numbers ramp up in that cooler, moist uh, temperatures. So that's just something to keep in mind with harvest, is if you can terminate early and, and still um, not see a significant decrease in yield, you're your dry matter is okay, your size profile's uh, getting there. Um, in the long run, you're going to save yourself a lot of issues when it comes to fumigation or, or future disease pressure.
And we do have an audience question that just came in from Adam J. He's asking, what formula did you use to protect your harvest yield for your earlier digs? I'm guessing this is directed towards you, Jed. Yeah, uh, so we actually, we've used uh, a mixed model um, and uh, we're familiar with that when it comes to st statistics. And so we've used the amount of weight that is accumulated based off the number of growing degree days. Um, and then we're trying to, um, you know, change the intercepts there uh, and, and make sure we have it as accurate as we can. There's a couple of models uh, out there already, basically, I mean, bulking models that are pretty similar. But when it comes to testing, right, we're really trying to hone in that variation. And so what we still haven't nailed down is kind of the structure of the autocorrelation factor, which is basically, you know, as you harvest one plot again, if you go back to the same plot just to see if it was off the first week, it still might be off a little bit and that just error is gonna carry in. And so we're trying to make sure that we get that um, term really nailed down. Um, and the other side of the model that we're working on is we're using the amount of yield that you're increasing per day, as well as the amount of propagals uh, of verticillium that you're increasing. Um, and so we're hoping that there's a, well, we've seen already, although uh, one of the years we had a, a, a variability in the data just because we didn't have high enough disease pressure in the field. Um, so we're hoping with this year that we have higher disease pressure, but we've already seen where there's a, a point, a fluctuation point where you are not increasing any more in yield. Um, you're only basically growing uh, verticillium propagals at that point. Um, and the amount of yield will decrease anyway because of the issues, again, involved in the early dye complex. So th those are the two models that we're working on right now. Thank you, Jed. And I think that's all we have for questions today. A uh, nice quick webinar. I guess everyone's out in the field, which is a good thing. We're all, we're all hoping, wishing you well uh, for planting season. So now I'm just going to show the CEU credit uh uh, code to scan um, up on the screen. If you have any issues with it and it's not working, you can just email myself at arobinson.seedworldgroup and please make sure to include your name and your CCA number in the email. And just a reminder that these credits are only available for those that are viewing live. I'll just leave it up there for another second. Okay, thank you everyone once again for tuning in. I'd like to thank our speakers, Jed and Dave, for joining us. You guys did a great job and we really enjoyed learning the information that you taught us. And once again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, McCain, for making this webinar possible. And a big thank you goes out to everyone for participating. I hope you have found this information valuable. And once again, our recording of this webinar will be made available soon on spudsmart.com. Thanks again, and we hope you have a wonderful day.